I want to silence so that he can at least cut that horrible part out. Beginning. Oh, yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jake! Defense. I gotta play defense from the cat. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the second installment of the Fine Feathered and Fouled podcast uh, for Evil Quacks. First, we're going to do a little bit of introduction before we tell you what our Fine Feathered and Fouled topics are going to be. Uh, so here with me today, instead of our normal podcast hosts, we have Mazio, who has been on this podcast before, specifically the Fine Feathered and Fouled one, right? Yep. Uh, and then we have Jake, who's a new person, joining us on the podcast. But Hello. if you have been there to see our panels, or at least the panels that I've been on and Mazio has been on, Jake has joined us on those panels as well. Right, Jake? I have. Um, so before we get into the topic of the fine feathered and fouled, and before we reveal the topics, because I have been very secretive about what games we are going to talk about, because I think that if I was blatant with the games you were going to talk about, there may have been some hate. Uh, but we're going to talk a little bit about you guys, and why you're here, and what you do, and why anybody should give two quacks about what you're going to say. So let's start, I guess, with Jake, because we kind of already know Mazio a little bit. So, Jake, why don't you tell the lovely people why you're here, what what you're up to, what why you, you should, why you should give a about what I say. Well, first of yep. all, you shouldn't. You shouldn't. Wow. Good start. Um, good start. Good start. <laughs> now, I'm a game dev student. Uh, I go to Drexel University in Philadelphia. Um, my work primarily is in narrative sims, so games like Gone Home, What Remains of Edith Finch, and Life is Strange Before the Storm are really things that are more in my wheelhouse, and that's what I work on. Um, but you weren't always in game design, right? No, I wasn't always in game design. I actually started out as a, um, a business major at Drexel. And uh, <laughs> somewhere in my second year, I realized that I kind of wanted to do something a little different than that. And that revolved around a couple games I was playing at the time. Some influential titles for me. Like I said, we're gone home um, to the moon going back really far, which sort of relates to something we're going to talk about today in name only. Mm-hmm. And um, Firewatch was a big one. That sort of showed me that games can do a little more than I thought they could. It could be a little more than the Call of Duty shoot 'em up Sims and uh, maybe tell a story. So that's kind of what I'm interested in and what I do. Cool. Uh, and then you know Mazio and I know Mazio from class because Mazio teaches at Drexel, right? I'm an adjunct uh, at Drexel. Be very specific about that. I don't yes, want to be getting cranky. Right. Le- legal, legal business. An adjunct professor at who drexel. has taught at drexel who has taught at drexel thank you for your legalness they're very specific about that phrasing um and jake said that he was interested in stories and that's part of the reason why i guess both him and i took your class uh, because you primarily deal with stories for games yes yeah i'm an expert on narrative that's my field and i also run a board game company uh which uh, should have had a Kickstarter by now, but thanks to the COVID-19 outbreak, uh, I guess we'll do that in 2021. Yeah, because you have to make all the stuff for it. On the other hand, I'm brushing up real hard on my drinking, so when there. <laughs> uh, and before you did stories for games, you wanted to do directing or something, hated that. That was way back. I Yeah, I've kind of been through the ringer on narrative, so I started out as a direct, like a college student trying to be a film director and hated directing and hated being on set and started writing screenplays which I still write occasionally and then moved into novels took three master's degrees along the way all of them in English humanities and an MFA in fiction and sort of started writing papers and doing panels on video games way back in like 
2010, I think I started doing panels. Um, and now we're doing them much more actively again, and it's a very good time. And I have you find people to do it with. Yeah. Uh, and so, I guess with those introductions, are we going to expect more story-heavy arguments and debates over this? Or, like, obviously Jake is a game design student, uh, but you've mainly talked about story to us, but you also have, I guess, some experience or at least secondhand knowledge of game design that you've researched, you've looked into, or how you've related it. Do I do chit chat oh. about that. I do a lot of uh, tabletop work. Like I said, I'm I'm essentially the CEO and lead designer for um, my own board game company, where I work with a couple of people who do a lot of the art and things like that. So I do all the playtesting. I do all the mechanical design. I'm also a major tabletop war gamer. I do okay in larger tournaments for pick a game I probably have played it. Um, I do a lot of video game stuff as well in terms of narratives and analysis. And that work tends to be more scholarly. So that's lit critique and narrative critique and things of that nature or construction like building and things like that. I am right. for the record, if you are of the narrative persuasion listening to this podcast, I'm a hardline structuralist who believes in Campbell. So fight me. Yeah, so a, so a lot of our topics are probably going to revolve around at least the hero's journey or at least some hard cycle that we, fi that we follow. Uh, yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, and then for me, myself, and I, uh, I develop as the lead developer for Evil Quacks, and I am currently working on getting the ownership transferred to me, uh, but I also do panels with these lovely people. Uh, I also went to Drexel for game design and development, uh, and then also took a bunch of CS courses, so I was able to get experience with both development and design and some art with it, and then my day job is working with VR and doing VR simulations along with some database work that I do to help out another team. Um, so I have like a wide array of tool sets at my disposal. Uh, but otherwise I think what's important to stress is that I don't think anything we say in this podcast is 100% absolute or anything we say in this podcast are 100% absolute. I think we're just a group of people who like to ask why and to decipher and figure out games and try and unravel them. Uh, and there are multiple different ways to analyze games. There are multiple different ways to talk about games. Uh, and what we say or do here in these coming podcasts uh, is not 100%, right? It's not absolute. Uh, no, I, I think, think we're kind of like rogue casual scholars at this yeah that's um, a great way to describe it <laughs> it sounds like more epic that way whenever he says it uh, but i just want to stress that uh, and we're always willing to i guess chat more about games if people have other ideas that they want to bring up or maybe a different viewpoint that we didn't necessarily see because of our backgrounds being more story-based at least for you two and then mine being more development based i'm sure there's some avenues we won't necessarily cover right i assume so i mean it'd be weird if we did which very true i mean i'm colorblind and i can't draw a straight line so when i start commenting on art you know that it's from the, <laughs> the perspective <laughs> of somebody who's observing it not somebody who's like <laughs> attempting to make it yeah um and then i think with that, we should also talk about what our favorite games are and what influenced us with games, because I believe that also says a lot about a person. 
Uh, and it also can give insight into some biases or personal biases we may have. Uh, so who wants to start first? I know, Jake, you briefly mentioned your games, uh, but do you want to go into more detail about why those games impacted you so or what you've taken away from them or how you've applied them into your own work? Yeah, absolutely. So as I mentioned, like when I was uh, when I was growing up, I was kind of a Xbox Call of Duty Halo kid. And uh, at the time, I, I thought not that Halo doesn't have a narrative and please don't come at me with pitchforks when I say that it's a little bit light in the department, at least in the beginning games. Um, but that that's kind of what I thought get, that games could be. I didn't think that um, they could really tell a story the way that a movie or a book could. And then when I got farther into like the indie game section and I experienced things like To the Moon, Gone Home, Firewatch, um, more recently uh, there's a game called answer not which has this super weird narrative but a lot of this these small indie narrative sims i kind of realize that games like any other artistic medium can really be used to tell a story and give an impression and show sort of a slice of what the world is and uh those are the kind of games i like to play and that's generally how i'll be taking most of my criticism or praise that we talk about in the future though i think I'll probably still relate it back to some of that designy stuff that we all like to talk about. Nice. Uh, and then, Mazio, I don't think we've actually talked about some of your most impactful or favorite games. I know you play a bunch of games, and I know your your heart is in tabletop, but what got you started in thinking about games from script writing or the traditional narrative aspect of it? Um, oh, this is kind of a weird story. So, I was in my second master's degree going into my third master's degree which is not something normal human beings say just to start that out i'm not one of those like people that's like how many do you have like no like i'm weird and most people shouldn't do this um and a friend of mine approached me as we were talking about postmodernism specifically about thomas pinchon's crying of lot 49 and he's like well why don't we ever talk why don't you ever talk about games all you do is play games and then you come to English class and you read books. I'm like, right, I read things and I play things. He's like, right, but why are you not doing that together? And uh, it sort of spawned this whole conversation uh, with him and a few other people that sort of led down this rabbit hole as I finished up graduate school. And we ended up uh, working in publishing in that area a little bit uh, way back in the day. Um, and at the time, it was kind of odd because one of the very weird things about that group of people was I was the only person who played games, and they were just very interested in me talking about games to them, even though they had no interest in playing them. You which, were like some foreign entity to them. Yeah. <laughs> some and, alien to study. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. They're like, I, they were very, very into particular brands of poetry um, that I'm not going to go into because nobody will ever care. But they're very, very into poetry. And I, I just think it was one of those things that in an English department where everybody was so focused on novels and um, a little bit on plays and opera and things like that, that all of a sudden there was a guy that was like an outcast in a slightly different way that made him weirder than a poet. Uh, if anybody's ever dated a poet in here. I feel like it's a different type of weird. 
and poets are definitely their own type of weird. Not that I don't like poets, don't get me wrong. I just don't date them. Like that's bad policy. Um take offense to that if you want. Fight me. Um <laughs> This podcast is gonna be filled with a lot of come at me, bros. I feel like it's worth <laughs> noting that we're recording this at the beginning of week three of the COVID quarantine in the US. And like yeah. a lot of the aggression that's coming out is because I haven't been able to like do something like walk up and like just shake hands with a friend of mine <laughs> like <laughs> a huge amount of time. Right now. <laughs> yeah. Um in terms of games that like have heavily influenced me video game wise, um Mario Super Mario Brothers three and the original Mega Man series on NES were my childhood influences. That's what kind of got me through to 96 when the N64 came out and I was boots on the ground prime teenage territory when Goldeneye and Rare was in full effect so that whole pantheon of games heavily influenced me Mario 64 with the innovations that it, it brought in and coming into 3D for the first time and all the things that went in between Nintendo and PlayStation like I was that exact right age of like 13 to 15 in that era to just soak it all up like a sponge um, in the modern era, I know this is a, a touchy subject between Amanda and I, but uh, Overwatch is still one of my favorite games of all time, even though I don't play it anymore. I was going to say, we haven't played it in weeks, probably because months. we've all been so... Oh, yeah, okay, months. I'm uh, I'm kind of done with it until Overwatch 2 comes out at this point, and I'm okay with that. Um, and What? Nothing. Um... It's uh, but I can't deny any game that has four hundred hours of my time, four hundred plus heading towards five hundred hours of my time in it. You know, I I can't deny that influence, right? Like, no, that's true. Like, what what do you want me to say? No, that game didn't matter to me at all. I don't think about it. Does Overwatch ever talk about me? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh. No, I mean that's like me with Skyrim. Like as much as I said, even at the panel we did where we specifically specified non-traditional RPGs, I. Still struggled not to reference Skyrim in that just because I have 800 hours and Skyrim is like a parasite in every topic of the game community. But yeah, that'll I do was it. I was talking with a friend the other day about how much gray matter we think League of Legends takes up in our brain, and um, <laughs> oh, that was probably real depressing. <laughs> it, it it got really really sad really quickly. At first, we were talking about um, a League streamer named Tyler One, and we thought. How much of this guy's life is League? It's a lot. But then we thought, wait, but we kind of have all that same information. We might not necessarily have the skills, <laughs> but as far as like the, the straight information, like I'm a dictionary on League of Legends at this point, how much like physical space is it in my head? That is an uncomfortable thought to have. But uh, yeah, unfortunate influences <laughs> of games. <laughs> Other... Other major video game influences were Ultima Online, for anybody who can recall that, or just, I guess, Google it. And of course, yes. WoW, I was, uh, I think I was a senior in college when Vanilla WoW came out and nearly caused an entire generation of people to not graduate from college. <laughs> <laughs> um, Tabletop-wise, I came up through Warhammer 40k and Magic the Gathering and um, kind of... back into Magic. I'm back into magic, and I'm realizing that magic is in its own special way that sort of, um, that one true game, that the, I'm never going to be rid of it, and I'm okay oh, no. with that. It latches on. 
them and you think you walk away for like maybe a few years and then suddenly someone comes up to you and says hey you play magic and you're like oh no and the whole cycle starts over again yeah yeah but i feel like they're I mean, I could go on and on about the evolution of magic because I started in Revised, um, which for everybody who doesn't know means I missed all the really great cards. Like, <laughs> no Moxes, no Lotus, no Power Nine for me. Didn't know dual lands were valuable because I was a kid and lands were boring. Like, that sort of a thing. Um, but it is it is 110% like, man, I do hold so many, so many things to the standard of Magic the Gathering and Games Workshop that it's disturbing. Even though my current competitive game is Middle Earth Strategy Battle, um, Star Wars Armada, um, I just started playing Wild West Exodus and Drop Fleet Commander, and uh, the number one board game, because it's the best one, I think, on Steam, is Scythe right now with my circle of board gamers. Uh, we're playing like five, six games of Scythe a week, because it's kind of, like it's the best thing out there, and we can all jump on Discord and chat and play like two or three games of Scythe in a couple hours. Scythe was a lot of fun when we went up and played it. I, I can't recommend it strongly enough, especially if you're, you know, quarantined or yep. the digital version is very good. Those Asmodee digital board games work real, real well. Uh, but I, I also am in love with Wingspan right now, and I kind of miss playing that. Can't oh. really do anything about it, but it's beautiful, and I miss it. Uh, kind of branching off, I guess, a brief point you mentioned is that we're all in quarantine. Right. Well, at least all, all three of us are. And I, at least I, I don't know, Jake. Yeah, no, I'm in the second worst hit state in the country. I'm definitely in quarantine. <laughs> Can't go outside. Okay, good. Well, you know, some people Shout out to crazy, New Jersey. But... Number two, as usual. <laughs> uh... <laughs> Is that on the license plate? New Jersey, number two. Number as... two to New York, as as is our place. That, that's um... generally where we land. But branching off of that, uh, games have actually been super important during this quarantine. And I don't just think for me and for, I guess, you guys here as well, but there's also been news about so many people returning to games they haven't played in a while. And that's what's giving them some form of entertainment or social connection through this quarantine. And to continue off of that is that's kind of why I got into games and what influenced me to start wanting to develop games is that... Um, Every time I tell the story, I get, I like try really hard not to cry. So, sorry to Kevin who is editing this, uh, and to you guys if it's teary eyed. But uh, I used to play Call of Duty in my basement, like traditional Xbox gamer in the dark of the basement with just the screen, murdering my eyes but and I mean, going. That's where Call of Duty's players belong, in, in the dark oh, basement. Very true. Like, I was, this, I was the poster child for it, except that I had quacks. Um, and I sat there with my Xbox controller, and I went, like, 23 and whatever, and I was playing these games. And my mom, who worked at the time as the chief infectious disease researcher at Children's Hospital, came back one day. Uh, and she had something to tell me, and she was very excited about it. And at first, I was kind of brushing her off, because... My mom didn't understand that I couldn't pause the game because I was doing online multiplayer, which is the dilemma with parents, I feel like. Uh, but after I got through my game and she patiently waited because she just really wanted to tell me a story, I guess. Um, and I turned to her and I was like, all right, what happened at work today? Like, who who was a quack at work today? Mom, what, what am I going to hear? Uh, 
But instead, she told me about how Children's Hospital started to add in uh, consoles to long-term stay patient rooms. And they did this like a few weeks ago. And the improvement those patients had shown within the weeks of giving them just a game to play while they are stuck in bed or stuck in a room was tremendous. It gave them the opportunity to escape the hospital environment for just brief periods of hours or to explore a world when they couldn't. And it gave them, I don't know if it gave them hope or just brightened their mood, and it gave them, I guess, a stronger will to, you know, keep fighting whatever they had, um, if you believe in that, which I do. And that really moved me. It was, it was really impactful to think that all it took was giving this kid who can't go out and explore a world, a world where they can, or a kid that maybe is stuck in a wheelchair their entire life to give them a character and let them design it and create it and let that character run. And that seems like something that we all take for granted uh, because everyone on this podcast can walk and or attempt to run. I'm not saying I'm great at running. Um, But the people who are stuck in wheelchairs or stuck in hospitals, that's a big thing to them to be able just to go out and run free. Um, And that really impacted me. because then I started thinking about, well, what what else could games do? And games are significantly more than just me sitting in my dark basement shooting people online, right? They could be so much more impactful to the community. And taking that, uh, I started to really have this strong passion for sharing my games with other people, uh, with strangers who maybe sat alone in the lunchroom at middle school and our high school because I was typically that person that sat alone in high school and middle school because I didn't want to talk to anybody. Uh, and it it was it was a nice thing to do to sit down with a person and say pull out even if it was just like a bicycle set of cards and say, Hey, do you want do you want to play a card game or something? Uh, and even if I didn't know the person you could still play a fun card game with each other and they games helped foster a sense of connection between strangers. So that was another thing is that I believed games could actually help heal people uh, from that children's hospital thing. And then also that games could help connect complete strangers. And I think that that's also why I love going to PAX Unplugged or any of the PAXs really, but mostly Unplugged. So I think it's more with tabletop games where you get to watch a bunch of complete strangers sometimes sit down with one another and start laughing and having a blast, and if you just walked by and didn't see them all get partnered up, uh, you would think that they'd been friends for a while. Uh, but instead, they had like this common interest that helped facilitate either friendly competition or cooperativeness, uh, and was able to like foster a sense of connection between strangers. So that is why I really love games and what got me into games. Uh, And so MMOs are kind of my wheelhouse because I love meeting people all over the world uh, from them. And I also loved open world genre games, so Skyrim, as I said before, uh, because you were able to create a world and give it to people who maybe couldn't go out and see the world. So sappy backstory of Amanda loving games, but that's me. Um, So yeah. I think that's a very charming story. I would just like to add that because I'm fat, I also have... Quack. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. That's fair. That is fair. 
No, but I, I do think you're right, though. I mean, pretty much every person in my world is now connected to me through games. Unless you're somebody I know from a very, very long time ago under specific circumstances. Right. Um, and then I think that's actually the reason why I really want to do these podcasts and continue to do panels with you guys is because I just love talking about games because they mean so much to me because of those things. Um, and all the fond memories I have with friends or past friends I have of sitting and playing a game together. Uh, and I think it's important, especially important now, again, bringing back the quarantine and their relativeness is that when everyone's stuck inside, like how, how can we still get that social connection and help take our minds off the slight panic and terror that is happening outside right now? Uh, I, think I mean, that's to fulfill that. Yeah, it's one thing that I've noticed gamers have been uniquely qualified for is surviving a pandemic <laughs> and like mentally faring pretty well because it's yeah. just kind of back to the roots. Yeah. Like for, for me and my friends, it's just been, yeah, so we're, we're here in league, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I want you to know up front as a tabletop miniatures gamer uh, that the pandemic has already cost me $400 in miniatures. <laughs> You did just buy, you told me last night that you just bought a bunch of miniatures you will never play, but, but you have and are going to paint. I bought uh, Victory at Sea, which is on pre-order, so goodness knows when I'm going to get that, because it's British made. Uh, for $208, I did the U.S. Navy starter for that. I bought like $140 worth of Age of Sigmar and $140 worth of Wild West Exodus. And I'm like, you know what? It doesn't matter if I ever play it because right now I just need to sit here and build something with my hands while I go through eight hours of Zoom meetings. Uh, why? Why? Because... No, just why Zoom? That's <laughs> gross, it's a topic for another day, but... Gross incompetence on the part of the Philadelphia government? I don't know. <laughs> um, but I think that's why... Uh, this is a good time for the podcast, right? To get together and chit-chat about games while games are serving such an important role in the community right now with everyone stuck inside and needing something to keep them sane, keep their mind off of the rising death toll and the panic of potentially getting this disease and then also wanting to still hang out with people. And I, re I guess Mazio and I are currently playing Animal Crossing. Jake, you're not. As far as I know, not playing it, but correct me if I am wrong. Not in the slightest. Yep, that's fine, Jake. Not <laughs> at all. And you know, topic for another day again, but listen, I don't care about your fruit. I don't. <laughs> I don't care about your fruit. I don't care about your blues playing guitar dog. All right, stop. Okay, it's precious. I'm, I'm going to keep digging this hole. Just I'm, digging it deeper. I'm with but, Jake on KK Styles. I don't, I don't get it. Okay, I don't, I don't get it. You can also go die in that hole that Jake's digging. But Well, I'm taking Tom Abrams Nook with me, but is. only one of the twins. The other one has to live alone now. That's so depressing. Um, but in a game like Animal Crossing, I always like to see um, the pictures people post. Where, for example, this this is gonna be sad, but this one person's uh, father, I believe, died because he was a medical professional trying to help fight this pandemic. Uh, but unfortunately, if they die of the disease, they can't get close enough to do a funeral or memorial for them. 
So he ended up making a nice part in his town with like one of the tombstones and a portrait of his dad oh. and a bunch of flowers all around it as like a memorial to his dad because he couldn't go out and do it in the real world. Uh, and that helped him to grieve uh, and handle the loss of his dad. And then you have families who are separated either because someone's overseas and stuck on travel because of the travel bans or what have you. And they're able to get together and play around in towns and hang out. Uh, and there was this one couple who couldn't go on a honeymoon, so they recreated their wedding photos together on Harv's Island. And yeah. I know, I just thought it was the <laughs> sweetest thing. Uh, but anyway, that's like my wheelhouse is all that sappiness and how games can bring us together and do honestly such amazing good for this world if the media would just shut up about all the negative stuff that they try and dogpile on. Which is a topic for another day, because I will rant about that if given the chance. But, I think that is good for at least an introductory on all three of us, uh, unless you guys have any closing statements, or thoughts, or one-liners. I knew completely bagging on Animal Crossing was going to go poorly, <laughs> but I didn't think that a heartwarming story would just completely destroy me. I have nothing left to say. Oh, I'll play. I'll play Animal Crossing now. <laughs> yes, you've won. <laughs> Victory. I, I do have um, one thing I'd like to add. Yes, miss you. Your dice really are trying to kill you. Be careful. <laughs> I know it's a pandemic and you're trapped in the house with them, but you got to be careful. <laughs> They're after you. I'd be more concerned about you who trap a bunch of their dice in a lamp. You know what? Betray me and that's what you? happens, okay? Yeah, and I'm waiting for them. They're like, this is my moment. He's stuck inside. He can't go anywhere. Break free of this lamp like genies and come after him. Anyway, uh, so that's it for us. Uh, but let's talk about what we are going to talk about in the following podcasts, right? The next podcast we do is going to be the Fine Feathered portion of the Fine Feathered and Fouled series. Uh, and to give you guys, I guess, a little context on what that is, if you haven't listened to the first one, one, listen to the first one, because we talk about Settlers of Catan in a beautiful and amazing way. Uh, unless you like Settlers of Catan, and then maybe, eh. <laughs> but No, you should definitely <laughs> listen to it as I systematically break down somebody by accident. <laughs> uh but for the Fun Feathered and Fouled, it came about as we looked at some games who have been trashed or destroyed by the community that we as design students or maybe from a scholarly perspective think actually implemented some things really well uh, and shouldn't maybe have been bashed as hard as they were. Uh, and That is the fouled portion. Sorry. The fine feathered portion is the one that has been the opposite of that. So they've been praised to extremes by the community when in reality if you wait to play them until after the hype train or you give someone a controller who maybe isn't a hyper-fanatic about it, uh, you start to realize that these games maybe didn't deserve as much praise as they got. Uh, and so the first one we're going to do is the Fine Feathered one, which, again, I have been hesitant to mention the name in any of my blog updates or posts because I think we're going to get maybe some hate as we... Uh, release this one but we're actually going to be talking about breath of the wild on switch and does anyone want to give like a brief 
just maybe a few sentences as to why we picked Breath of the Wild without going into too detail, too much detail, because it's going to be all in the other podcast we do, the next one. I, I have been waiting so long to say this. Oh, no. We're coming for Nintendo. We're gang initiation, beating them up, completely putting down this game. I am so ready. No. Um, there are <laughs> legitimate issues with Breath of the Wild that I think I couldn't understand at the time as somebody who's not a Zelda fan. When right. all my friends jumped on this game, we're like, oh, this is the best ever. And I was thinking, like, what? what? Why? I, I don't get it. I bought a Switch early. I was lucky enough to have one on release and the game. So I jumped into it pretty much as soon as possible. And so- while everyone around me was saying it was the best thing in the world, I was just struggling to understand. And I, for a while, just wrote it off as, like, I, I don't get it. And then... I found you find people who are willing to talk about it with me. But yeah. So you were actually started playing it when you still had the hype around trying to influence you as well. And you still came up with these thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. And I think part of that was being insulated from, you know, the franchise. Yeah. And not having experienced lots of Zelda. But like you've said, we'll dive into it later. I'm super excited. Nintendo is finally getting what's due. I right. may not be able to put down Animal Crossing, but I can put down this game. All right. Let's just specify. Nintendo makes a lot of great games. And I do want to specify that there are aspects of Breath of the Wild that I have, I am okay with. <laughs> let's say that I've enjoyed, but that that's I'm okay high, with. That's high, praise <laughs> from, that's high praise from you. <laughs> I know. Kind of. Uh, but even as a Zelda fan myself, like I played... Wind Walker, I played Majora's Mask, I played Ocarina, I played Twilight Princess, which is still my all-time favorite. Um, I went into Breath of the Wild with high hopes, but I waited, I think, multiple years. Like, I just got it, because I just got a Switch Lite, um, which is, like, this December I bought my Lite, this past December. Um, But even as a Zelda fan, as I sat there and I watched two, three, two, two of my other friends, one of them being Brian, which, if you've listened to podcasts before, you may know him. He's typically one of our hosts on here. Um, watched Brian play it, and then I also watched, I guess, my roommate Liz play part of it. I don't know if I actually watched her play the whole thing. I don't think I did. Um, but even watching as they struggled through parts, uh, and think to myself, okay, are you still actually having fun? Or are you just stubbornly trying to struggle through this to get to a part where you believe you'll have fun at the end, that there's some reward at the end? So I have a lot of things to say about it just from both a secondhand experience of watching people struggle and the issues they had, and then firsthand experience of (laughs) me, who's someone who really loves Zelda games and also loves open world games, again, Skyrim, uh, also struggle through it uh, and trying to figure out why it's a struggle for me to get through and it's not so much that it's hard like I can beat monsters and I can clear shrines and all that jazz but something about it just doesn't keep me gripped in the game uh, as you I have issues with Zelda games dating back to the original Zelda when I was a child so yes. so many issues <laughs> I'm leaving it that just so many issues so then in the Fine Feathered podcast, which is coming up next. You'll have 
one person who this was their first Zelda game introduction to it, Jake. You'll have someone who typically really likes Zelda games, me. And you'll have someone who has played a lot of Zelda games and has been critical of all of them and all of our opinions and, I guess, thoughts and scholarly, maybe articles oh. to back it up from things, uh, opinions on it. Coming up in the next podcast. Yes? Yes. Yes. Awesome. So then we will see you guys in the next podcast that comes out, which I will probably announce on Twitter and or Facebook and or both and definitely our website, probably all three, just combined all three of those. Uh, and it will be about the Breath of the Wild and our scholarly thoughts and opinions on it. But until next time, be sure to stay evil and keep quacking. Follow us on evil, at Evil Quacks on Twitter or the Evil Quack Studios, which is our Facebook page. And then, Mazio, do you want to talk? Do you want to mention uh, your Fable Games? There it is, is my board game company. Uh, follow us on Instagram. That's where we do most of our stuff. We're also on Twitter. They um, have some great art being posted. Really great art that's posted up there. And um, stay tuned. I mean, we should have playthrough videos and things like that coming out sooner or later. Uh, the pandemic yeah. is definitely hampering literally everything we do. <laughs> <laughs> Everything. <laughs> well, Mazio cries in the corner. Jake, do you have any follows you you want? Yeah, um, you can follow me on Twitter. It's uh, I think at Jake McKenna one zero two five. Wow, um, original. Yeah, pretty Twitter, basic. Right? Did Twitter generate that for you? Listen, I do creative things <laughs> as a job, um, kind of. But I I don't tweet a lot, but I will share any games that I put out. Uh, it links to my itch.io page where you could play some demos and things I've worked on in school or independently. So if you feel like diving into that, go ahead. Or just chit-chatting with us, right? About games yeah, or, or questions you have about from this podcast. Talk. Yeah. Talk about panels. We'll talk about games. We're all nerds. Usual. We all like chit-chatting. Can't get me to games. stop talking about games and how much I hate Nintendo, <laughs> but that's besides the point. All right. <laughs> Thanks, guys, for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>